0: You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Alyssa, let's take our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, please. Luke chapter number five. Some good songs this morning that... At, uh, Lord I Need You, that's, uh, I sing that song almost every morning in my quiet time, and, and I sang it this morning, and shoo, that's just a powerful song, and, and just uh, all the great singing, and thank you for bringing a great spirit with you to church. Um, we've got some folks here that are either guests or visiting, and some folks back. Is that Brother Haynes I see back there? Brother Haynes, good to see you, brother, Been in Oklahoma and all these places, and happy to have you back in town, always looking sharp, and uh, my mom is here. And uh, so she was here on Wednesday. We're thrilled to have her in. Okay, all right. Go ahead, Mom. You get a hand clap. I want you to know they never clap for me. They just never, ever do they clap for me. But uh, but so we're glad to have my mom here visiting. The kids are thrilled. And and, uh, our dog took to Mom so fast. (laughs) You know, little Bowser, our dog. And uh, so I think he doesn't love us anymore. He loves Mom more. But uh, we're glad to have her for a few weeks with us. Um, I do want to just quickly say, please pray for Miss Barbara Almeida. I just got a text a little bit ago that she was rushed to the hospital this morning, one of our older members, and uh, so pray for Miss Barbara if you would. And then also want to encourage you, uh, tonight we will be voting on two deacons uh, that are wanting to come on to the team that we've asked to come on, and uh, Brother Fred Dickinson will be voted on tonight, and then Brother Julius Kabakungan. And uh, if you don't know who they are, during the business meeting tonight, they're going to give a little testimony, so you can get to know them a little bit, but uh, their, their faith we'll so I'll talk about them a little bit tonight. So I tell you that just in case you don't like them and you want to come vote them down, all right? But uh, no, I'm just kidding, but so we'll we'll do that tonight. And then, <clears throat> uh, as you're getting to Matthew cha- or Luke chapter 5, whew, almost did it again, I almost changed up the passage on you. Luke chapter 5. Um, I want to encourage every couple to sign up for Couples Conference. I know, I know, almost every year, some of you probably think, oh, do I really need it? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Friday night, Saturday morning, but no one ever leaves our Couples Conference thinking, what a waste of time. Everybody leaves refreshed. You need the fellowship, you need the teaching, you need the camaraderie, you need the tri-tip that's going to be there Friday night, Some of you are like, what would you say, pastor? I didn't hear a thing before that, but you said the two magic words. Well, it's a hyphenated word, but you get it. And, uh, and so you're going to need to be there for that, okay? So uh, sign up today. And like Brother Josh said, even if you can't pay, that's fine. Uh, right now, sign, sign up so we know what's going to happen and who's going to be there. And we're going to have a great time. We really, really are. It'll be awesome. Luke chapter 5. And, um, thank you for being here. If you are a guest and on your way out, make sure you stop and get a gift bag and make sure I get to meet you, please. I would love to meet you if you're a guest with us today. We are going in our series. We're on our third message in the parables of Christ and the parables of Christ. And I've kind of subtitled this stories that change lives. And uh, that's what the parables are. It's uh, it, Jesus would tell a story, but it was an earthly story. He was relating, almost like an analogy, relating something here with a heavenly meaning. He's saying, here's a story to help you understand what heaven and the kingdom of God is like. And so that's what we see in Scripture here. And uh, last week I told you I'm not going to go chronological order. Well, guess what? I am going to go chronological order. I flipped it on you. I'm going back and I'm going to do chronological order of the of the parables of jesus and i want you to see here we're going to look in luke but then we're going to turn to matthew and see the parallel passage of this particular uh, parable that we're looking at and today the message is entitled wardrobes and wineskins mm. so you're like what in the world is pastor talking about well you may remember some uh some things jesus said about garments and wineskins or bottles, and uh, so we're going to look at that parable uh, that uh, Jesus gives here. Luke chapter 5, verse 36, here's what the Bible says. And he spake a, uh, also a parable unto them. I wanted you to read this in Luke because it's the only book out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that lists this and specifically calls it a Parable. But it is a parable because it says so right there. He also spake a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. What? Some of you may be thinking, what? What does this mean? I don't know. We're just going to pray about it and dismiss today. And No, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Go back two books in your Bible. First book of the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter number 9. And I, I like reading this parable in the book of Matthew because the parable takes place in Matthew's house. And you'll see that here in, the other, in, the, in Mark and in Luke, they list his name as Levi, the son of Alphaeus, but it's the same name. It's, it's, it's Matthew Uh, must have been a middle or surname or something. But uh, you'll see here Matthew calls himself Matthew. So we know that's who it was. And in verse number 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. And this is, again, Matthew writing this. Sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am come to call the righteous, but not, uh, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, or often, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus saith unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? I mean, if you're having a a wedding and you're the, you know, uh, what are they called? Not the best man, but the groomsman, and you're with the groom, are you going to be, who, crying? No, you're going to be partying up, having a good time. And uh, he, he said, but the day shall come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. And then he gives this. No man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment and the rent is made worse neither do men put new wine into old bottles else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish but they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved so we're going to take a look at this scripture and see what it's talking about and see uh, what is the main interpretation of it and then some applications and i want to just give you a warning at the beginning that there, there is deeper water here that we're going to be treading in, and maybe you're new to church, and, uh, and if you are new, or maybe you're a guest today, or maybe you've just been a little while, some of the stuff may not click yet with you. But there will be a lot of practical things that you will absolutely get and be able to take home with you. But uh, So I just want to tell you in advance, there'll be a little bit of deeper theology here that we're looking at, but that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Let's pray together and ask God's blessing upon the service. Father, bless the rest of this time we have together. Lord, help me and and my limited knowledge and and, and verbal abilities not to get in your way. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak today in, in our hearts and work in our lives as to what we need to do with the message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look at your Bibles again, please, if you would. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. Matthew was a publican. What's a publican? A publican is a tax collector. So now you already know Matthew was super popular with his friends. He was a tax collector. And it says that he was sitting at the receipt of custom. What's that mean? It means a tax booth. So he's just sitting there waiting for you to go pay your taxes. You know, probably not a very popular guy, but it came to pass, Jesus sat at meat in the house, so what had happened in between there? Luke, the book of Luke tells us that Matthew made a great feast for Jesus, because Jesus came by and and told Matthew, hey, follow me, follow me, and Matthew says, absolutely, gets up, he goes home, and in his own house, throws a big party, and he invites, who, who does a publican or a tax collector have as friends? Other tax collectors. And so he invites the pub- the other publicans there and uh, and sinners. Now what does, it, what does it mean when it says sinners there? Because we're all sinners, right? We've all done wrong. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says everybody is a sinner. So why is it specifically listing sinners there? Sinners would be uh, uh, considered that because they were social outcasts. And they were social outcasts by the Pharisees because they didn't obey the law. So they were just kind of like We're not doing what you say. We're not doing what the law says. Uh, So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, who really were were exacting upon people their own rules and laws, not God's, they they said, we're not following that. We're not doing any law. And so they were considered sinners. They were outcasts. So he's got a bunch of tax collectors and a bunch of rebels at his house. Imagine that. So as we look down here, Jesus answers the Pharisees and says, hey, he he didn't come uh, uh, to call the righteous to to repentance, not the people that are self-righteous in their own eyes. He came to save the people that know they need it, the sinners. And we all need it, but it's a matter of not whether we see it. And he says, hey, it's not the people that think they're uh, perfectly healthy that need the doctor. It's the people that are sick. And he said, I'm coming to find the people that know they need a Savior, that know they need Christ, and, and, uh, and he came to, to save those people. Of course, he came to save everybody, but certainly some people know they need it. And uh, one of the prerequisites to actually trusting Christ as Savior and going to heaven is you got to know you need it. you got to know that you're on your way to hell to pay for your own sins, but Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to pay for them. And he says, hey, I'll freely give you that, but, but, but if you think you can earn it by being self-righteous, you're never gonna get it. You have to know that you're lost and, and you need a savior. And so that's the message he's giving. Then the disciples of John the Baptist come up and say, hey, why are we fasting? And you guys, and your, and your disciples aren't fasting. They're not going without food. And Jesus said, hey, they've got me with them. And I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna be crucified. I'm gonna rise again and go to heaven. And then there'll be mourning. And then they're going to experience tribulation. And then they're going to go through hardships. And then they're going to be, trust me, they're going to be fasting and praying when I'm not here. So that's the kind of the interpretation of what's happening here. But look down, if you would, please, at verse number 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. So this is the parable. It's a wardrobe, the garment, and it's a wineskin, the bottle, which we'll talk about in just a second. So it says, no man put a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. Then verse 17, neither do men put new wine into old bottles. Now the word bottle there is not what we would think about when we think, you know, you've got like your hydro flask. Some of you got that. Some of you may just have a flask in your pocket. I hope not, I don't know. But uh, you know, you, you may have something with you today. But uh, 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 the bottle here represented is what we would call wine skin. And like, you know, they would take an animal and dry it out and form this like this bag out of the skin. You've seen that. And they throw it across the camel and it's got water or something or wine on both sides, grape juice, things like that. That was, that was, you've seen the old westerns, they take the thing and they tip it up like that. That was the bottle. That was the wine skin that is referred to here. So he's using the analogy in verse 16 of patching an old garment with a new cloth and placing wine or grape juice that has just been crushed or squeezed into an old wine skin. Now, I think him using the analogy of an old garment being patched up would probably have been a perfect analogy with the publicans and sinners that he was eating with. They probably would have had clothing that was patched. They probably would have understood exactly what he was was meaning. So in verse 16, when he says, no man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. Here's what that means. And then I'll tell you what it spiritually means. What it means here is that if you were to put a new unshrunk, unshrunken, unshrunken, whatever that word is, hasn't been shrunk. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, okay? An unshrunken piece of garment If you were to take a new piece and put an unshrunken piece of garment onto an old piece of of garment that's been stretched, that's been faded, that's kind of worn thin, what would happen is when they would go to wash that clothing, the new garment, the new patch would shrink and contract, and it would rip the garment all around it. That's what it was saying. So that's what that means there. It's saying if you, if you get it wet, it's going it's to tear the garment even worse than it was before you tried to patch it. <clears throat> In verse 17, when it talks about no, no men do, neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. New wine is unfermented wine. And unfermented wine expands during the fermentation process. The gases and things that are released causes it to expand. And if it was an older wineskin, it would cause that older one that's been worn out to burst. The gases inside would cause it to burst. But a newer wineskin would be more pliable, would be more stretchy, and be able to stretch out and hold the new wine. That is what the understanding of the passage is. But what did Jesus mean by that what does that parable teach us the, the the main teaching that Jesus is trying to get across and remember he's speaking to those people with ears to hear those that actually want the truth that's who Jesus is speaking to and uh, because the other people are not going to hear what he has to say anyway so he's saying for those that have ears to hear the teaching is that is, is that Jesus what he was coming to teach was not going to be an addition to the old law He was not coming to teach to add to the Levitical law. That's the old garment. He's not coming to patch up what the Old Testament says about ceremonial sacrifices and ceremonial laws. He's, He's coming and he's teaching something new. He's teaching something new. He's not forcing his teaching into an old system. And for all these years, in the Old Testament, people had been doing animal sacrifices, they've been following all these dietary and ceremonial laws, all these religious rituals and religious rites, and Jesus is saying, look, what I'm going to come teach doesn't fit in with that. This is new. Whereas before you needed animal sacrifices, Jesus is coming to be the sacrifice once and for all. Jesus didn't come to, to, uh, to just you know, do away with the law. He came and he fulfilled the law. And because he fulfilled it, those things aren't needed. Th- those religious rites and rituals aren't needed because all they were doing is picturing Christ. And the Old Testament law was not perfect. It couldn't save you. Oh, I kept the law, so I get to go to heaven. No, that's not what happens. That's not how it is. It was pointing you, and the Bible says it was a schoolmaster to show you that you're not perfect. That you need Jesus Christ. So uh, that's the new doctrines that he's teaching. They do not match with the doctrines of the Pharisees. They do not match with the older doctrines. He's stating, and, and he'll state again and again through Scripture, that you cannot mix the old religious rites with new faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. That's not what he's doing here. Jesus came and he ushered in the new covenant. We're reading the New Testament, right? New covenant That's what it means. And he ushered that in, and now it's a, 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 there's, he fulfilled the law. The, it's a state of grace. It's a state of opportunity to, to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and not to just trust by faith in God providing a sacrifice. They now have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They see him with their eye. They're going to look upon him on, on whom they have pierced, the Bible says, and they're going to see him sacrifice himself for their sins. And Jesus say saying now... You look to me. You look to me. Look at the cross. Look at Christ and live. Look and live is what he's going to say to them. So that's the teaching of what he's doing there is that people are now living with the opportunity of a new doctrine, of a new covenant where they can accept Christ as their Savior because they've seen him. The old garment, the old garment that we see here, it represented in some ways the moral or legal righteousness of the Pharisees. They they obeyed the moral law. They obeyed the ceremonial laws, but it was an imperfect system because that law could never save anybody. Nobody ever got saved by obeying the Old Testament law. The Bible says, in fact, that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The garment, the, the torn, battered garment, that's what our righteousness can get us. But see, that's the great thing about Jesus is that he saw that our righteousnesses could never get us to heaven, so he's willing to robe us in his righteousness. There's a deep meaning here. This is a, this is a, a deeper truth than, than, than I normally, you know, would, would probably try to explain on a Sunday morning, but, but I, I want you to see that it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture, and I hope I'm doing it justice by explaining it, that Jesus' righteousness is what we're clothed in. It's a new thing, and because of this, I wanna share just two thoughts with you. Now, I know, I know, every Baptist preacher, if you're worth your salt, you got three points. I only have two today. I'm only 66% of a good preacher, okay? So I'm gonna give you two thoughts today about the teaching, since we have two analogies here, I'm gonna give you two thoughts about the teaching of Jesus. What did Jesus' teaching do? What did it require? First of all, I wanna say this. Jesus' teaching Did and still does require change. Jesus' teaching requires change. Okay, we're looking at our our Bibles here, and uh, it says, no man putteth a piece of new cloth. And then verse 17, neither do men put a new wine into old bottles. It's new cloth, it's new wine. Here's the thing, if something is going to get better, it cannot stay the same right? If something is going to get better, it cannot stay the same. Most things, if you just leave it like it is, get worse. Don't believe me? Take milk out of the refrigerator and leave it on your counter. Come back a few days later. It'll be worse. See, there is either, there is no middle ground of stopping. You're either growing, you're either changing for the better, or you're reverting to the worse, and no one's just flat staying the same. No, we are in motion. We are humans being, we are humans acting, we are humans doing things. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, hey, I've got some new teaching. It's something you're not used to, but it's a good thing. It may require some change. Here's what I love. Jesus, this is so cool to me. Jesus came to save, the Bible says. Jesus came to be in the regeneration business. He's regenerating, he's Completely making something new. The the old garment that we see here could also represent our flesh. Our old nature. And you know what? Our sinful flesh cannot be mended. You can't patch the flesh. You can't say, well, you know, the person I was before Christ wasn't all that bad. So Jesus, just plant yourself on me and, and we'll be good. And that's what so many people try to do. They live in their sinful flesh without being regenerated, without being transformed by Christ at salvation, and they just want Jesus to just patch up something. And that doesn't work because Jesus is not in the repair business when it comes to your flesh. He's in the regeneration business. He doesn't want to just patch up the old. He wants to give you something brand new. I'm glad that when we get saved that we're not the person we used to be. I think about Brother Cole, and I think about the testimony, since we're already talking about him, he was a DJ on the radio, you know, can you imagine that, he'd have been a great great DJ, and all this stuff, but I tell you what, and and he would give testimony how his life was, was before he got saved, but man, when he got saved, there was a transformation, God didn't patch up anything, God remade everything about that man. And that's the same thing for you and me too, no matter how old you are when you get saved. When you trust Christ as Savior, God's not patching anything, he's remaking you completely. Brand new person, brand new body, brand new everything. We're a new creature, a new creation. The old garment's gotta be thrown away completely. We get saved, we take it off, we toss it away, we never go back to that. That's how it's supposed to be. I love the, even in the New Testament, the analogy of putting on the new man. If I've been saved and I've been born again, I ought to be putting on the new man. I ought to be acting like new people do, like redeemed people do, and doing the things that redeemed people do because I am new. It's amazing, you know, when, we, uh, when, when people lose weight, they want to go get a brand new wardrobe. You know, I can't, the things I used to wear, I don't wear them anymore. Hopefully it's not the other way, you know, but, but uh, when, we, when we get into a better shape and you, you, know, you work out or whatever, then what are you doing? You're trying to... Get that new wardrobe because the new you needs to wear something new. The new us, when we're saved, we ought to be acting different, robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice, if you would, about this cloth and about this wine that we're talking about. Cloth and wine, clothing or wardrobe and wineskins. Think about that for a second. Clothing goes where? On the outside. Where does wine go? On the inside. One's on the outside. One's on the inside. One goes onto you, and one goes into you. And there is a difference there. You see, Christ comes into our lives first, and then onto our lives. get what I'm saying? Jesus comes into our lives first, and then onto our lives. In other words, Jesus changes us from the inside out. That's how it works. It's inside, when he gets in, he changes everything. He remakes you, and then he starts changing things on the outside. That temper of yours starts to change. Those habits of yours start to change. Those desires of yours start to change. Why? Because he's changing me little by little, every day. That's what he's supposed to do. He changes from the inside out. So many people, I think, just want Christ to come onto their life. Come onto my life, God, and fix my problems, but they really don't want Jesus to come into their life. They're happy with Jesus being on the outside. But if Jesus wants to come inside, they're like, well, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to have to obey everything you say. I just want you to fix my problems. That's not how it works. Jesus has got to come inside. Oh, He stands at the door and knocks. And if any man opens the door, he comes in and sups with them. Hey, that's what he wants to do. He wants to come into your life. He wants the key to every door in your heart. He wants to, he wants to be, have full control in your life because that's when you're at your best. That's when you're at your happiest. That's when you're the most transformed and joyful that you could ever be. It's when you give Jesus full control. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants to come into and then onto. Inside out. I was at the country fair that we host uh, every year. Uh, uh the past couple of years we've hosted during the uh the fall season we have a country fair where people can drive through and get some goodies for their kids and people dress up and we have an awesome time this year some of you that work there probably saw there was a lady that walked through and she was obviously very inebriated or very high on something and uh she came and we're kind to everybody you know come on through it's fine half our deacons are drunk today anyway but uh we have a i'm just kidding i'm joking not the new ones, I'm going to tell you that, uh, but uh, I'm just joking. But uh, we, were, we were going through, and, and I saw her, and, uh, and, and, she, and I said, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. And she was just very erratic, and I said, I'm the pastor. And she went like this, oh. And she's hiding a brown bag with a big bottle in it. And she had a T-shirt on, so it's not like she was successful In the hiding of this thing, and like, I didn't say anything about the alcohol. I didn't say, "How dare you get off the property!" No, I said, "Come on through." And she's like, "Oh, it's the pastor! It's the pastor! It's the pastor!" I was like, "I'm just like everybody else. Give me a drink." I'm I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm gonna get fired today. All right. But uh, I, she, she was coming through, and I said, hey, it's no big deal. Oh, I the pastor, oh, I, I promise, I, I was just going to pour this out as soon as I left. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> trying not, uh, It's hey, we're glad that you're here. Let me invite you to church. And, and I know I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to do right. Hey, I'm really trying to, to do the right thing. And I, I know who God, and I say, hey, it's not about doing what's right. It's about accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't clean up and then ask Jesus in. You ask Jesus in and he cleans up. That's how you do it. And I was just trying to briefly in the line tell her this. And she walked out, you know, and she walked around the corner. And you know, you won't believe this, she did not pour out that bottle. Unbelievable. Couldn't believe it. I walked down the street sometimes to get to, I walked down the street to get to church every day. Uh, We just live around the corner here. And some of my neighbors will see me walking. And I'll see them drop their cigarette and put it out. Or some other things they're smoking. And just drop it, put it out. Hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I never said a word. I'm not coming by with a, you know, with like a a drug-sniffing dog and a microscope. All right, what you got going on here? What's this substance? I'm not doing that. But for some reason, people feel like when the pastor's coming by, you know i got to clean up the outside and you see that's the and I, part of me is like well you know i i appreciate the sentiment but the truth is the inside is what needs to change if you look you can dress up an old dog but the difference needs to be there needs to be a new dog there needs to be a new person. There needs to be, not, not putting makeup on the old ugly flesh, it needs to be a remaking. It needs to be inside out. The, the, outside, the outside of a person will never truly change significantly unless the inside is changed. There has to be change. And Jesus' teaching doesn't leave you with any options. You either get changed inside or you don't. And that's it. So many people invite Christ into their lives, but then they never let him work on their lives either. And, and, and with those people that, that have invited Christ in, but he's still not working on their lives yet, we need to have patience with them. We realize, hey, we were once there. We need to grow, and we need to allow them to grow. We need to love people that maybe are not perfect yet, because as you can hear quite perfectly, I'm not perfect yet either. But the Bible teaches us that if Jesus really did transform the inside, others will be able to see it on the outside, There should be something that people see. Otherwise, did a change really take place? And I want to just ask you this morning before I go to the last point. What is Jesus changing in your life? It should be he's changing something. And if you want things to get better, some things have to change. Sometimes we don't like change, but change is necessary. And I want to ask, hey, what has changed in your life since you got saved? Hopefully a lot. Hope you'd say, man, I'm not the same as I used to be. If you're the same as you were before you got saved, what happened to the transformation? Because things should be different. Is there still change taking place in your life? If you're saved, you're not perfect. And we're supposed to be every day looking more and more like Jesus Christ. So change is necessary. And Jesus is teaching. If you're listening, it requires change. But secondly, Jesus' teaching requires choice. Jesus' teaching requires change. He's gonna transform your life if you'll listen to him. But Jesus' teaching requires choice. Everybody that hears the teaching of Christ is faced with a choice. You will be faced with a choice today. You're faced with a choice right now, whether to tune me out until I tell another illustration or to listen. The Pharisees heard Jesus teach in person. In person! They had a choice. They chose poorly. The disciples heard Jesus teach in person, and they chose pretty well, except for Judas. There's so much teaching in the world that claims to be from God. So much teaching. But, but we, we know many of those things are not true. There are false teachers and charlatans everywhere. Many of you may not know the name Oscar Romero Ortega Hernandez. It's a mouthful. Oscar Romero Ortega Hernandez. In 2011, when, when uh, Barack Obama was president of the United States, Oscar, I'm just going to refer to him, not our Oscar, but this Oscar, um, attempted to assassinate President Obama. He didn't get very far. He was stopped in Pennsylvania. Obama was in San Diego with his wife, so he didn't get very far. But he was his his plan was to try to assassinate Obama because he believed that Obama was the Antichrist. Probably went to some churches that said such stupid things. But he believed Obama was the Antichrist, and he believed that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. So that should tell you the fruit loop that we're I mean, the, the person that we're dealing with here. He claimed to look exactly like Christ, and he claimed to be the modern-day Jesus Christ. And because of that, because he's so much like Jesus, he thought, I should kill who I think the Antichrist is. There's about 57 things wrong with that. You know, but but scripturally speaking, humanly speaking, all of that, I don't mean to mock the guy, but obviously he, he was a few fries short of a happy meal, if you know what I mean. And he's here, and he's, I'm the modern-day Jesus Christ. There's another guy named Sergei Torop, who was a Red Army patrol officer in Siberia. This was uh, recently. He lost his job as a Red Army patrol officer, and a year later, he started the Church of the Last Testament in the Siberian forest. How would you like to go to church in the Siberian forest? You guys are like, oh, it's cold in here today. It's not the Siberian forest. Here's the thing. This guy has gathered about 10,000 people in the Siberian forest. This guy, all of a sudden, grew his hair out real long because he thinks that's what Jesus looked like. Claims to, you know, they, they celebrate Christmas on his birthday because, you know, he's Jesus in his own mind. Here's another one for our Mabuhai class. There's a guy named by the name of Apollo, and I think it's Kibaloi. He founded what's called the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hey, we know who founded the kingdom of Christ now. It wasn't Christ, it was Apollo. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, the name above every name. That's the name of his organization. It's in Davao, Philippines. I hope I said that right. He claims to be the appointed son of God. He claims to be the savior of the Gentiles. And he claims to have lived without sin since 2005. Here's the thing. We laugh. He has six million followers. Six million people follow him. Wow. All across the world, too, not just in the Philippines. Everywhere. What am I saying? Look, if people are confused about obvious lies, what are we doing in churches? confusing people with our doctrines instead of Christ's. If people can be confused on these big to me obvious glaring false prophets then absolutely can we see the charlatans and the false and the slick teachers and churches that are leading people on a one-way ticket to hell. It's a sad thing but everybody that hears true teaching of Jesus a choice is required. And, and, you know, and, and with all the teaching that's in the world, you're, you need to choose which doctrine you're going to follow. You're going to have to choose. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to listen to the world's teaching? Are you going to listen to a religion's teaching? Are you going to listen to a religious teacher's teaching? Or are you going to listen to Christ's teaching? Because this church will fail if we cease to preach what Jesus said. Now, I'll tell you, we could get a big crowd. I could give you a four-step process right now to get a big old crowd in this church. But is that the purpose? No, that's not the purpose. The purpose of this church is to honor and glorify him, to be the pillar and ground of the truth. What's the truth? Christ's teaching. Our church is also here to reach the the world with the gospel, not the gospel of Eli Reynolds, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose that we are here for. We're here also to edify one another with the teaching of Jesus Christ. There's so much worldly philosophy, so much out there. You cannot just trust what every religious leader says, what every church says, what every large ministry says. You have to know what Jesus says. What does he say? One of my rules when I'm counseling people is that you cannot make an informed decision without information, and I refuse to just say, oh, this is what happened? Here's my, here's my counsel. I want to hear all the info. And you know what I'm saying? Well, how, can we make conf- how, how can we make an informed decision on Christ's doctrine when we don't know it? How can we make an informed decision on what Jesus wants to do with our lives when we don't know what he said? So we have a choice to make. Every time you come to church, every time you sit in Sunday school, every time you open your Bible, every time you hear teaching of the Word of God, are you going to listen to Christ's teaching You're going to listen to what you want to do? You're going to listen to what the world says to do on CNN or somewhere else? Or are you going to listen to what Jesus Christ says to do? And can I just tell you, the only way you're going to make it with truth, the only way you're going to find truth is in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. So today, you're faced with a choice, and hopefully you're faced with a change. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, boy, Jesus wants to change your life, and it is so much better than the life you have lived. It's it's a joy-filled life. It's an awesome, wonderful life, and you get to have direct communication with Jesus and God. I want to encourage you, if you have made a change, if you have accepted Christ, hey, don't go back to wearing the old garments. Act like a Christian. Let Jesus come inside, but let him come onto your life too. Let him change not just the inside like the wine, but the new garment. Let him make your your outside match the inside. Let Jesus change you. And then I want to encourage you to, to choose very carefully the doctrine that you listen to. Choose very carefully the podcast you put in your ears. Choose very carefully the religious books you read. Get back to this book right here. That's the book we need. That's the inerrant, infallible, perfect Word of God. Let's get back to that. Father, I thank you for the message from the Word of God today. I thank you for...